Hey, Sandy. Hey, Rob. What's that you're reading? Oh, this? It's the new book by award-winning real estate investor Quentin D'Souza, The Property Management Toolbox. It has all of the tools and systems for starting out as a new landlord and all of the resources to create less stress while expanding your rental portfolio. It is awesome. Wow, that sounds amazing. Where can I get one? Just go to www.theontariolandlordtoolbox.com. The Property Management Toolbox, a how-to guide for Ontario real estate investors and landlords. I'm going to order my copy right now. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 5. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you live the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again is Sandy McKay. How are you, Sandy? I'm great. Here again, ready to go and uh, really excited for this one. Uh, You know, we got an amazing guest here, so it's going to be great. Yeah, before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to everyone for checking us out. We really appreciate each and every one of you for listening to the show. So uh, please keep it up. And if you have a question or a suggestion or a comment, uh, go to Breakthrough REI Podcast. There's a little section there to enter your comments, and we'll answer all the questions uh, that you have right here on the show. Yeah, that's over on BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. And, of course, you should also check out our free report. All you got to do is put in your email address and we'll send it over to you. It's called Seven Freedom Activators You Can Trigger in Your Property Right Now. And uh, this, is a, this is a truly amazing uh, system that Sandy has built from the ground up. It was very generous to share with all of you for free. I know he put an incredible amount of hard work into it. And there's uh, there's just so much good info that we're going to dedicate an entire upcoming episode of the show to an in-depth review of this report. So again, like Sandy said, just enter your email and uh, we'll make it available to you for absolutely free. Yeah, I know. It's not enough. We, we do these podcasts for free and I think we're delivering some awesome value, but we're going to give you that for free too. So go check it out. And uh, yeah, like Rob said, we're going to break it down a little little more in an upcoming episode. We'll dive deeper into the seven freedom activators and tell you what they're all about. So go pick that up. That's on breakthroughreipodcast.ca. And after the show, hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. That would really help us out. And just remember that um, if you ever meet either one of us uh, and you haven't left us a review, you're going to have to look us in the eye and uh, tell us why you haven't done that. So everybody go over and write us a little review. Let us know what you think of the show. Five stars, please. Yeah, and click the sub- – go ahead. We're gonna, because we're going to ask them too, right? We're going to ask you guys. Oh, <laughs> Have you left a sure. review yet? Come on. <laughs> uh, click the subscribe button while you're there, and that way you won't miss any of the new episodes as they come out. Yep, perfect. And I guess let's let's get into this one today. 
we have uh, an amazing guy on the line here and an amazing interview we just did with Tim Collins. He is a uh, focuses on student rental investing and just some tremendous value here to share with you in this interview. Uh, he's going to talk about the importance of having a great team behind you and, and how you can build that team. Um, he's going to, of course, talk about how to invest properly in student rentals and what the biggest challenges are. And we're going to dive deeply into some of his experiences there and, uh, and maybe a little horror story here, here and there. <laughs> and he's also going to tell us, oh, he's going to fill us in on what the heck gazumping is. And that's a really cool, actually kind of scary topic, but uh, interesting topic nonetheless. Scary word, scary topic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's fascinating really is what it is because it's something that uh, I'm sure people in Canada take for granted and, um, and don't really know about, but it's pretty cool. And he's also going to tell you why you owe it to yourself to start thinking big in life, in business, and you know, in real estate especially. So mm -hmm. that's all coming your way in the interview with Tim Collins. And here it is. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Sandy, you there? I'm here. I'm ready to go. I just uh, rushed back from my... Uh, beer league hockey game i'm i'm pretty uh amped up i'm i got lots of energy so how'd you do did you win we lost you know i was telling you earlier that uh i i didn't want to go into overtime or anything because i wanted to make it on the call on time and we ended up going to overtime and a shootout and it was like oh it was mayhem and we ended up losing so I was, who was I, doing the shootout you uh i, I you know what I, I was in it and i blew it Ah, uh, see, you're thinking your mind was somewhere else. <laughs> I know. I was thinking, I got to make it back for nine o'clock. Come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> so, well, thank you for being on the uh, on the show, Tim. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to come on with us. No problem. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you, Tim. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, we should start out. Maybe I'll let you just give us a little background on on yourself uh, i know listeners listening right now can tell you're not probably a native canadian so maybe just tell us a little bit about your background your history yes yeah, it's, it's a long story but i'll try and consolidate it a little bit for you so i was born in canada actually my dad was in the air force so i was born here and uh, about a year after i was born my whole family went back to england which is where the where the accent's from and so I grew up kind of English, but always with a connection back to Canada. And when I was about 15 years old, I said to my dad, can I, can I get Canadian citizenship? Because it would just be really cool if I could tell the people at school that I'm Canadian um, instead of just being boring in English. So my dad wrote off this big um, letter, essentially, to the Canadian High Commission in London. And they were back and said, yeah, you are 100% uh, Canadian as far as we're concerned and gave me citizenship and I then applied for a passport. So that was kind of, uh, that was kind of why I've, I've always come back to Canada. And speaking of hockey, when I was 19 or 20, I came back to Canada and played tier two junior A hockey over here for Trenton team, Trenton sting at the, at the time they were called wow. and uh, played that. And then, then I kind of realized that, I wasn't going to make the NHL and all the AHL probably. And a lot of the stuff below that was just, you know, journeyman, 
um, getting knocked about for not a lot of money. So at that point, I went back to England to start my career and and uh, started out my life in IT sales. But my investing also started off in England. So when I was about when I came back from that year of hockey, I wanted to rent an apartment, and my dad said. My dad was just really against renting for whatever reason. He said, you're not renting. It's a waste of money. You throw money down the drain. And I said, fine. Well, you need to help me buy somewhere then. So we bought this little apartment and it was a two bedroom, typical stinky apartment. I remember the carpets in the in the living room were worn through to the concrete. So that might give you a bit of a mental picture as to what state it was in. Anyway, I didn't care. I was like, this is great. New carpets. Um did a bit of other work and I lived there for a few years and then my job took me to a different city. So I, I continued to rent it out for a bit. So I ended up being a bit of an accidental investor just because I didn't really have time to list it and sell it and do everything involved in, in selling a house. So I just rented out. I found a local property management company and just gone with it and just left it alone. I didn't really need to do anything with it. And then Three or four years after that, I wanted to buy another property closer to London, so I sold it. And when I went to sell it, the price had gone from £45,000, whatever we bought it for, to over £100,000 in four years. And I think that was part of the aha moment for me when I was just like, I couldn't have saved that much money. I couldn't have made that much money. And I didn't really have to do anything for it. It feels a bit like cheating, right? When, uh, when something like that happens, but it was obviously fortuitous timing. It was entry level property into the market and, uh, and I caught a good wave. So that was kind of what, what, how I caught the bug. And then I went on from there to try a couple of other investments. I, some of which worked well, some didn't. I bought into a into what I would call like a fully managed investment where a company came along and said, we'll sell you the house, we'll put tenants in it, we'll be the property manager, we'll kind of do everything. Um, and uh, that didn't work out particularly well. Um, and then my job kind of gave me the opportunity to transfer over to Canada um, Probably, I think it was 2006 is when I came over here permanently. So that's what kind of brought me back. And and when I got back over here, I then started, after a bit of settling in time, started looking again at investing and um, bought a duplex, which was fine. And um, then I bought another duplex, which was fine. But what what really was the, the catalyst for me to, to get into student rentals was uh, when I looked at my career of IT sales, which I've been in for about 15 years, I just kind of had enough of being on that circuit of, I always represented great products. That wasn't a problem, but they weren't necessarily my products. So the passion behind them kind of wanes after a while. It's hard to keep that level up. And um, so I just decided I wanted to, you know, do something on my own and, so I looked at the real estate industry in Canada and said, what is the, the quickest way essentially for me to leave my job? Um, that was the, the kind of brutal way of looking at it at the time. And student rentals, obviously, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but can be a lot more work. But on the financial side, they, they for the amount of money invested, I think they provide one of the highest returns in terms of cash flow obviously depending on where you buy and how you manage it and all that kind of stuff. But that's what I looked at. And uh, that's why I 
I kind of, uh, that's a bit of an intro as to how I got into student rentals in the first place. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's really great. Um, before we get into the student rentals though, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. I know, well, you were saying that, um, I guess the reason you got into the student rentals and into, um, investing was because your IT wasn't providing, like it wasn't your product. Is that the same reason why the, that turnkey uh, deal that you had going didn't work out? Or was there another reason that you didn't like that one? Um, the turnkey deal was, I felt like it was a bit of a scam. Um, I felt like it was, uh, because it was managed and packaged and they said they put the tenants in, they, they were obviously providing an end-to-end service, but I think, um, well, through my experience, A, the sale price was too high on reflection. Um, and, and B, their tenant profile was horrific. So the, there was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of damage to the union, the units, which conveniently they had a team to fix and charge me for. And it was just one of those, one of the horrors that people have in, in, in being an owner or a landlord is that you have, you basically don't get any money at the end of the month because, you know, everybody's been taking a piece and something needed repairing and that kind of thing really really was was going on there for sure i think and it was it wasn't a particularly good area it was just i mean it's it's, a, it's kind of a good story because it's exactly why i invested into being coached and being in mastermind groups because i you, you don't need to make all the mistakes that other people have made and yes the numbers might work and it might fit the good old one percent rule but is it in a good area are the tenants going to stay there for a long time what's the expertise level like of the people who are managing it and are they in it for the right reasons? So there's all those sorts of things which I look back now and think, wow, that was a, that was a mistake. But it gave me it gave me some more background in terms of of really thinking about um, you know where where to invest and and I don't that that kind of concept of that end to end thing just sounded too good to be true. And normally when it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they're the equivalent of. Well, I'm not saying there's anything really fundamentally wrong with a mutual fund, but that they're almost the equivalent of that because you have such little control over what exactly goes on with your money and 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 all of that. So, yeah, I like to stay away from those kind of things too. I feel like yeah. I, I just you need more control over over your investments, and that's what all of my real estate deals that I've gotten into are providing to me. So that's why I like them. Yeah, I guess I guess nowadays I'm on the other side of it, which is um, in addition to coaching people who want to be active student rental investors, I, I also do joint venture partnerships. So people come to me and say, you're an expert, you know where to buy, you know all the, the pitfalls that to be aware of. So um, how about I put the money in and then you basically run this investment for us. Um, so again, that comes down to them they basically look at me and say, is he credible? Does he have track record? Um, who are the other joint venture partners he's working with today and, and all those sorts of things. So it can be something which is, is successful for, for both parties. Um, obviously I'm not a property manager and I'm not a contracting crew. And so I'm not really doing all that side of things. I'm just more pulling the team together and being the, the, the kind of linchpin, if you will. Um, I wanted to go back just and, and ask you, cause I remember there was one thing, uh, one uh, funny word actually that I know 
we kind of joked about on Twitter and stuff after you were speaking at the uh, Durham meeting there was uh, gazumping. Why don't you just... Oh, yeah, good just, old gazumping. Yeah, why don't you just uh, have some fun with us here and tell us what that's all about. Yeah, gazumping's a funny thing. So in in England, the, there is this concept called gazumping and depending on the state of the economy and interest rates and house prices and all sorts of other things, it becomes more prevalent at different times. But gazumping is essentially a phenomenon where um, a buyer, uh, somebody puts the house up for sale, a buyer comes along and says, I'd love to buy your house. What's the price? It's 200,000 pounds. Great. They agree on it. They instruct their solicitors or lawyers to start um, essentially putting the documents together, doing the survey, the inspection, all those sorts of things. And what gazumping means is, is that during that process, um, the the seller basically kind of kind of keeps keeps his hand in the game. So that if another buyer comes along and says, "I'll give you fifty thousand pounds more," then the the seller basically dumps the first buyer, takes the second buyer for more money, and that is where gazumping comes from. So it's this the the, the difference, and I think I talked about this before with you, Sandy. But the difference in and that's why when I came to Canada and said that you actually you, you get that offer accepted and you get a contract, um, which is legally binding essentially, is just makes investing so much more stress-free and fun, right? Imagine being in a deal and I've, I've been there where you're like eight to ten weeks into a process and then somebody says, sorry, I changed my mind. I'm going with somebody else. That is terrible. And until the day you so- actually get the key and – exchange contracts it's not it's not a done deal is there any consequence for the seller at all or they just that's it just no they just walk away they'd be they'd be on the hook for some legal fees and that's about it there's no consequence for them um i don't i don't know you know there's uh there's, there's some other interesting words there's another one called gazondering and uh and gazondering is essentially when the seller decides just to, halfway through the process, they just decide to take the house off the market and wait for better times. Um, so another breakdown in a process. And then the last one is gazanging. Um, I'm not making this up, believe me. Uh, the last one is gazanging, which is the at the last minute, the buyer goes back to the seller and, and lowballs them a bit and says, you know, we said 200. Actually, now I'm only prepared to pay 175. So you can either let this deal fall apart or you can accept my 175 and just deal with it. So that one sounds pretty good. That one sounds pretty useful. (laughs) Yeah, that that one's pretty good. Um, But yeah, so with that concept of gazumping mixed in with with when you have the concept of somebody wants to sell their house, they go and put an offer in another house and that person then goes and puts in an offer on another house. You have these kind of chains of transactions together and one person gets gazumped it breaks the whole thing down wow. um and i know people this that this has happened to so it's it's a stressful process um i'm sure there's probably good ways to mitigate it today but um coming over here and being able to like you know agree to a price with a couple of opt-outs basically being financing and a home inspection and then firming up it just feels like the the power's a lot more equal and, and maybe even slightly in favor of the buyer where you, once you've agreed to a price, you still have the ability to walk away. 
So anyway, that's why um, Canada is a much better place to invest as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so the next time uh, any Canadians are complaining about how the U.S. is so easy and all this, we should probably consider ourselves lucky that we uh, don't have to deal with, deal with stuff like that. So it is a pretty yeah, good place. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good old Canada. <laughs> um, okay, let's maybe get into, let's get a bit deeper into the student rentals. What, what are the main factors you look for when you're looking for uh, a student rental? If I'm looking at um, an area in particular whether it be a university or a college, and I, I work with both. Uh, one of the first things I do, and it sounds kind of sounds weird to say it, but one of the first things I do is I drive there and I park my car as close to the university or college as I can get. And then I walk from there and I see what I can see within about a 15 minute walk. So I will walk the streets a little bit and see kind of what radius I can build within a 15 minute walk because I know myself in, in speaking to a lot of students, and this isn't possible everywhere because sometimes you have the universities out of town and you, only, you can only bus to it. So you have to look at your own individual market. But where possible, students would like to walk. Um, that is their preference because they, they want to roll out of bed, look at their watch, brush their teeth, grab a piece of toast and go to class. And uh, if they can walk there in 10, 15 minutes, they don't have to worry about waiting for a bus to show up or start in their car in the winter or whatever it is. They can just get out there and go. So one of the first things, one of the main factors I look at is, is location is just huge because even if the house doesn't look particularly nice, as long as it's functional and clean and, and looks nice inside, those are the, the key criteria that, that students are interested in. So the, the buying behavior is different than if you had a single family, for instance, who would be looking at other things like how big is the backyard and what is the, how aesthetically pleasing is the house from the street? Well, students aren't thinking about that, thinking about, does it look nice on the inside? Is it clean? Is it well taken care of? And how long is it going to take me to get to school? So those are some of the, the first things that I would, I would get into essentially. The other things then, Outside of that is, is really looking at um, sufficient demand. So one of the other things I'll do is, whilst I'm doing my little walkabout, is look around and see how many for rent signs there are. Um, because in, if you're in a student, a, a kind of dense student area, there'll be for rent signs and, uh, in, in various places. And one of the things I do is when I'm walking around, I pull out my old cell phone and I will phone up some of those for rent signs and say, Hey, I'm a student. Do you have any rooms available? And, and the answer to that question will give you an indication of how much demand there is. Um, other times I've phoned up the number and said, are you the owner? And the person typically says, yes, I am. And I say, you know, I'm also looking to get into the student rental market. I just wondered, um, you know, how you find it in this particular area. Or sometimes I'll ask, are you interested in selling your student rental house? Um, all these different questions are going to give you different impressions of the market you're looking to invest in. If people are desperate to sell, then you've got to question why. Um, if people hang up on you, then maybe that's a good sign, right? So whilst you're walking around, you can, you can call a couple of these numbers and, and see what's going on. And sometimes if, if appropriate, I, I try to get in and see some other competition. So I'll say, I am a mature student. 
I'd, uh, or I'm looking at a place for my brother. Can I come in and, and have a quick look and uh, just see what the competition's like? And I can tell you from my own experience that the competition's not very good in student rentals because what happens is a lot of people think about the great cash flow and they kind of get dollar signs in front of their eyes and then they then they just go into negligent slumlord mode and they don't reinvest in the property. So the properties will gradually deteriorate and obviously wear and tear is a bit higher with students and they, they get left alone. And if you compound that over a few years, then it's a dump pretty quickly without looking after it and, and reinvesting. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I went a bit off on a bit of a tangent there, but that's a couple of things. And then outside of the, the walking around and speaking to people, you obviously get into the, the numbers side of things. And this is, this is essentially different for different people, but I'll tell you a bit about some of the key things I look for. So first of all, one of the things you've got to look at is how many rooms can you put in the house that you're looking at? If it's only going to fit three rooms in it, then three students paying anywhere between 400 and $600 a month probably isn't a very lucrative business for you and probably won't even cover your bills. So you've got to look at um, purchase price and look at how many rooms you've got and start building a, a picture. And when I work with my coaching clients, this is one of the things we go through is looking at their um, market that they want to invest in. And then we start looking at purchase prices, how many rooms, average rent costs, we build out all of our utilities and property management costs, and then we can see what our positive cash flow is going to be. And then you can get an idea of, um, you can break it down a bit further in terms of what type of house you're going to look to buy. Um, my average in terms of my own investing uh, is, is between five and six rooms, probably closer to six rooms in a house most of the time. Um, some people do more than that. Some people do less. Some people have to do less. If you're in a, an area where there's licensing, then sometimes they regulate that to four or five rooms. But you'll also find that the, the rent is increased a bit to compensate for that. So there's a, there's a handful of, of the things that I would start out with. You know, student rentals have a lot of different um, and sometimes strange situations. They have different rules as well. Um, what are like? What is one of the biggest challenges when you're dealing with uh, student rental? Uh, from with the students themselves, or what what aspect? Well, I mean, like, okay, so I have a student rental as well, and um, I know that I have a problem because in Oshawa, if you start letting students put um, key blocks on their doors, then that turns you into a rooming house. But then, like, a right. lot of the kids don't want to move into houses with people that they don't know necessarily. And, I mean, uh, I could go on and on about this. But, you know, you try to get a group and then you can't. So you move to the individual. And then those kind yeah. of uh, things pop up as well as, um, you know, some of them almost want you to be their father and, like, mediate disputes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and yeah. there's probably all kinds of other things that I'm not thinking of. So for you, what, what, what kind of things come up? Yeah. So I think there's the, the key fundamentals is things like making, and for somebody new to student rentals, uh, the first thing is to make sure you have one lease instead of multiple leases. Um, if you have multiple leases, you're in the eyes of 
the powers that be, you are running a rooming house, which has a, a whole different set of requirements, both from a fire and safety standpoint, insurance standpoint. Um, so in Ontario, at least, the, the concept of uh, student rental should be that it's a, it's a single family unit. Everybody signs the same lease. They're living in a cohabitable area where they have access to shared facilities, kitchens, bathrooms, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the sticky subject of locks on doors, um, I, I just make a point of saying to people that they, they, uh, they, they can't put locks on doors, um, and that's also written in the lease. Um, what typically happens is next time I go and look for the house, there'll, there'll be a lock on a couple of doors. Um, so I think the main thing is is to, to, to set out with them and just say, you know, here's the reasons why you, you shouldn't put locks on doors and you've signed a lease to say you won't. And, and uh and you just got to try and enforce that way you can some people you know some kids are still going to do it um i think if as a as an owner and landlord you've got to make sure that you've you've documented the fact that you've requested for people not to do that um, you can't be there all the time watching everything that goes on obviously um, you can only kind of check it out periodically um so i think one of the main things is just maintaining a good relationship with the tenants and 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 by doing that it allows you to from the outset if you have a, a good relationship with them it allows you to um, tell them some of the reasons why that they why they shouldn't do certain things one of the other ones that that, that tripped me up in in the past is people bringing pets into the house now in ontario you 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 can't enforce no pets with the the landlord tenant board um, but from a student rental point of view, there is really with five or six young adults in a house, there's no place for pets because um, it just adds to the, the mess. And funnily enough, also students probably aren't the best at taking care of pets because they're out of school and out, you know, uh, in the evening sometimes as well. So I will always, you know, not really thought of that being a major concern, but in one of my early uh dealings with a student i walked into the house one day and and saw a little furry thing scuttling around in the basement and i said to the the, the young man involved i said what what's going on and he's like oh well a friend of mine gave me a kitten so now i have to take care of it and i said well i don't think this is the right place i would suggest and appreciate it if you could take it to your mom and dad's house or do something else with it but it can't stay here and uh so he Luckily, got rid of that and moved on, um, moved the cat on. But, uh, yeah, so pets has, has been a problem. That particular cat, while it was there only for a short period of time, caused some, caused some damage to the house and, and uh, made a bit of a mess, probably because it wasn't being cared for. So um, those are a, a couple of things I've come across. Mm. Yeah, it might be a little in bit. In terms I of have... the... Yeah, I was going to say in terms of the dispute thing, um, I, I've, I've kind of all of the stuff I do, uh, I'm trying to make sure it's as efficient as possible. So I used to, I used to go and put my Kijiji ads on every day, and I used to text back and forth with the students and arrange the showings, and then I'd have a local person, a property manager or something like that, do the showings for me and that started to eat into a lot of my time. And, and in addition to eating in, into a lot of my time, I'd start getting texts from the students. And stupidly at the start, I gave them my personal cell phone number, but 
I'm going to text all the students saying, hey, Tim, it's too hot. And then somebody else would say, hey, Tim, John in the room next door is playing his music too loud. And I told him and he told me to get lost. Or you just, you know, they, you have these young people and in many cases, they're left home for the first time. And they just, first of all, don't know how to run a house. And secondly, they need somebody to play referee in their kind of internal disputes. So I dealt with that in a couple of ways. First thing was I stopped giving my phone number out, like a personal phone number out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is I said to the students, um, and this is kind of pre me getting a full-time property manager, but I would say to them, um, if it's an emergency, you can phone me. If it's a real emergency, phone the police or ambulance or whatever you need. If it's an emergency such as there's water pouring on the floor or a pipe burst or something bad happened or the heat's gone off completely or whatever it is, you can phone me. Anything else apart from that, please send me an email and I'll respond to you within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Did um, they follow that so, for the most part? Yeah, they did. They did for the most part. Yeah, to start with, a few people would phone me up and say, they'd start saying somebody left uh, a moldy plate of food in the fridge and I'd say, hang on a second. As discussed, no. you, you could just go phone me for emergencies. Please put that in an email and I'll, and I'll make sure I get to it. And then... But, but um, see... Like with me, I'm thinking that that shouldn't like they shouldn't even be bothering you with an email with something like that. I I just don't understand. I've had the same exact thing happen where people are you know so and so drank my milk, and yeah, and I mean these are things in my opinion that they should be able to deal with themselves as a house issue, not a landlord issue. I don't yeah. I, yeah, so I mean yeah, I mean that, that it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean they're not going to ask them, but given the the 24 hour email response means that people normally don't bother because they realize that that delayed gratification of them getting an answer, they don't ask you anymore. So, so would you respond to that email? Well, if somebody says somebody drank my milk, I would say, I would, I would respond and say, this is difficult for me to, uh, to help you out with. I want to suggest you ask the people in the house. I mean, honestly, when I give people the ability to text me and get an instant response, they'd ask me all sorts of stuff. If I tell them I'll reply within a day, they don't really bother asking me anymore, mm-hmm. unless it is something important. Like it just tends to go away. So that was my first. That was my first method of attack. And the, the second thing I've done is I now have a virtual assistant who works for me, and he's based out of the Philippines, um, but he works Canadian hours, bless him. So he's although right now it's a 12-hour time difference. For them so it's whatever if it's 9 30 here it's 9 30 a.m over there but he works canadian hours and um so i've set him up with the text account and i've set him up with the email account so now if people email in or text in he responds to it on my behalf um so i've totally outsourced that whole issue um the other thing he does for me is he takes care of all my ads he organizes all my showings he liaises with my property manager to make sure that the property manager is there on time. He confirms with the students, make the students, make sure the students, the group of students uh, show up on time for their showing. So I'm only telling you that because when, when you, with student rentals, if you're just buying one, then you'll probably be fine. But if you start getting into a couple, then you're very quickly going to become completely maxed out if you try and do it all on your own. I mean, I did to start with and if I hadn't 
put some systems in place to alleviate the all the contacts with me all the time, um, then uh, it wouldn't have continued to grow. Yeah, I mean, well, it's basically the same as if you got six rooms, it's basically the same as six vacant apartments, mm -hmm. really, that you're trying to fill right. as far as the applicants go and how much work there is involved in it. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's really Yeah, cool. I mean, like you said, yeah, like you said, Rob, um, ideally, you want to get groups of people who will know each other and they can all cohabitate and uh, get on well, but that doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you get, you know, a three and a three or individual people or whatever it is and you've got to do the best you can to bring them together as a group and and hope they uh hope they get on and figure it out and it doesn't always work out i mean you're gonna with all the best will in the world you're gonna have the occasional issue from time to time that you have to deal with but i would think i i do think that's true for any type of real estate investing and and, and one of the reasons i enjoy working with students is on the whole for, for the most part they are people who are in a good place in their lives they they want to get on and you know they're going to university or college and you know, they're going to be positive um some of the people i deal with who, who live in my duplex aren't quite as uh, friendly all the time so well you um, mentioned your lease there a little while ago talking about how you have everyone on one lease so let's just go a little bit deeper into your lease. Um, how is it structured? And I know a lot of times um, student rentals, you go from May till May. But what are the terms of your lease? Yeah, so mine's the same. We, we typically go in from, from May to May. Um, and, and my lease just means essentially that, that we typically have one person who signs at the front of the lease and um, – and kind of puts their name down against the amount of money for the, the total amount of money for the house. And, um, and then at the back of the lease, there's a place for individuals to, for the, the rest of the group to kind of sign their names and, and agree to the, the conditions within the lease. Um, the, on the back of the lease is then also space for parents to sign um, because we, we like to have the parents be guarantors on the lease. So if one of the kids decides to break a door down or um, cause some, some sort of damage, we, we, we sometimes have to phone up mom or dad and, and get them involved to, to get the situation resolved. And that does happen from time to time. To time. Most of the time, the parents are um, helpful in terms of rectifying the problem and, and uh, fixing the damage. Um, so it's just good to have that escalation point. And I think when the students, the students know that their mom and dad are kind of on the hook as well, they tend to behave themselves a bit better. Mm -hmm. so have you ever held it, that it person who's responsible for, um, for the, for the, for the rent money? Um, I haven't had to, to be honest. I haven't had a situation where everybody else is, is left. Um, I would take it on a case by case basis. I've, I do have groups where sometimes one of, one of the people out of the group decides to stop going to school, and my typical point of view with that is, is to essentially say, "You're responsible for this lease, this contract you've signed. Um, if you want to 
um, find somebody else to replace you. That's ideally the best situation. But if you don't find somebody else to replace you, you are responsible for paying until the end of the term. Now, in response to that, some people say, all right, fine, I'll find somebody. And then they don't, but they continue paying. And some people say, uh, yeah, I think I'm just going to leave. Um, and at that point, it's tough, right? Because the, the, the likelihood of you going after them and enforcing that and getting that last couple of months or whatever it is, I, I don't always think it's worth my time to do that. So my next course of action would be to go back to the group and say, hey, guys, your friend is, uh, has moved out. Is there somebody else that you know who would uh, like to fill that room? Because if not, then I'll, I'll find somebody who would like to fill that room for you. Right. Um, and then I'll put my, put my marketing machine into action and, and find a replacement for however many months I need to. Uh, Sandy, I know I'm stealing uh, all, all the questions here, but I have another one that I came up with now. Go so. for it. I'm listening. I'm, I'm soaking it all up. Go for it. <laughs> well, okay. So we've got advertising costs. You mentioned that if you don't upkeep, uh, you know, and, and keep on doing improvements, that your 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 house is going to deteriorate over time. And I agree with that 100. Uh, percent Advertising is very expensive. I know um, the one site that we go on here, places for students, is over 50 bucks a month. If you want it for the year, it's 360 some dollars. Um, so all of these things put a dent in the cash flow would yeah. would it be fair to say that you are essentially coming out even with a with a decent cash flowing duplex but just doing all of this extra work to counterbalance that or or are you still coming out ahead um i'm still coming out ahead for, for sure like i um if you take into account some more major things that may happen over the year, whether it's, um, well, just something a bit bigger than he's doing. I, I'm, my house is run between 500 and a thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow. So say 750 is the average, right? Um, but that probably has a lot to do with the, the where I'm investing and, uh, uh, having having six rooms and, and getting good market rent for those six rooms on the basis that it's a nice house in a good area. Um, if you didn't have such a nice house and you weren't in such a good area, then yeah, you probably could find an investment which was um, less work intensive for the same amount of money. But the other thing is for me is that in a lot of cities, the area where um, the accommodation is for students that the kind of student area of housing tends to be um, some of the most expensive real estate in a lot of cities and holds its value very well. And the other thing I like is that we, we do have constant demand all the time for, for our rooms um, and for our houses because we look after them and make them look nice. They are the desirable ones. They get rented out first. We get more monthly rent. Um, and you know, as they say, even more people go to school in a recession. So it's kind of foolproof for a number of reasons in, in terms of a strategy for me. Hmm. So how do you avoid your student rental house, uh, becoming the party house? Or if that happens, do you just kind of go with it and start attending the parties? 
you, the word gets back to you. So mm -hmm. um, if you're just if you're not in a student area and you do that, people might get upset with you because you're bringing students into a what was a nice neighborhood. But in areas that are uh, densely populated with students, it's always good to uh, to, to chat to some of the other kids around and and uh, just introduce yourself and let them know how they can get a hold of you if there's any problems. Cool. Yeah, there's 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 a lot right that goes into student rentals, especially it definitely it is a lot more work um, for sure. Do, is there something uh, is it, what, what would be your number one tip for new people out there listening maybe right now who are thinking about getting into student rentals and they're looking at it, they're loving the cash flow that you're going to get. And but they're, you know, they're maybe worried about all this extra work. What's the number one tip that you give them for getting started? Um, I would say get the team in place first, because without the team in place, if you just start going by trial and error, then it, it can bite it can bite you really hard very quickly, right? I mean, even now we still face challenges with with the uh, the wrong student here, and uh, you know people not paying on time or whatever it happens to be. But if you if you start with a good team around you, um, and and uh, that includes property manager and realtor and contractor and, and all sorts of things, then um, you can avoid a lot of those mistakes. Um, and uh, yeah, I would essentially say to to get the team sorted out and and get some get some good advice. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the things that one of the this sounds a bit self serving. I don't mean it to be, but one of the things that accelerated my development the fastest was when I hired a real estate coach. Um, prior to that, I was the year before that, I think I bought one house and, uh, and I was still kind of trying to figure out how to escape that day job. And when I hired a coach, I got super focused. Um, I just avoided a lot of mistakes that they'd been through themselves. And yeah, I had to, I had to pay for that advice, but that year I bought six houses and, uh, and left my job and really took a huge leap forward. Um, so whoever you speak to, speak to somebody who's already doing it. Um, you know, Rob's got a bunch of experience, speak to other people who invest in student rentals, chat to them and, and see if it's something for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, I would totally agree. And if anything, they, they push you forward, right? They're going to, you're not going to sit there and wonder about things. You're going to have someone to chat to and, and make decisions, right? If you're not stuck kind of in limbo, you're going to be, you're going to be pushing forward, which is always uh, something that people have uh, trouble with, I think in real estate, especially. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, I think uh, I was speaking to one of the personal trainers at the, the gym I go to about this today, but I think it's accountability, right? People need to have accountability, whether it's to yeah. go to the gym and get on a diet and lose weight or whether it's to go and buy a house and, and take action and actually do something. And, and that's why a lot of people are kind of, some people kick the tires and some people get involved. Um, but if you can get involved with, with your team of people saying, Yes, that's, that seems like a good decision because, you know, I've done this before and that's a good area and that's a good type of tenant profile. And you, you put those pieces together and you make great decisions. If you just go and do it on your own, then 
you could end up with a house that's too far away or the tenants you get in it are totally wrong and they're not even students, they're just young adults and and then you have all sorts of problems, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just quickly, going back to the uh, outsourcing and, and your um, assistant that you have there in Philippines, did, can you give us an idea of, well, first of all, that's I think it's a really cool concept because a lot of people, especially in uh, the online world and things like that, utilize uh people in different countries and and the philippines especially i know has become a big one for uh internet entrepreneurs and things like that for outsourcing things and basically just being a personal assistant can you give us an idea what you pay your um person over there in the philippines yeah i think it's uh i don't want to i don't want to get it wrong now you've asked me that um <laughs> I've, I found them through um, I found them through my through my coach as well actually who who already used somebody over there so again another another a good example of getting something from your team um, I was able to get introduced to them um, so yeah seven bucks an hour mm-hmm. um, seven bucks an hour and so the the guy I deal with went to the University of Hawaii he's got a degree in accounting speaks perfect English um, and I basically hire him for two hours a day. So he works for other companies as well. And as my business grows, I'll probably take him for longer, but I have him for 10 hours a week. So what's that? 70 bucks a week, mm-hmm. 300 bucks a month, let's say, um, totally worth it. Right. Like, uh, if you, if you look at my time and where I should be spending most of my time, um, these, the, the kind of to and fro type conversations on text and all that kind of stuff. And, I, there's a, a free text service called textnow.com and you can go and set that up and actually use that from your um, PC or, or computer or whatever without actually having to be on a mobile device. So he's just got this app open on his desktop <clears throat> and he goes in and has conversations with people. So it's, it's massively helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of uh, people can use that. Like student rentals for sure if you're having a lot of property management type of things to deal with but anyone really can use that and and seven dollars an hour i know seems like you're paying nothing but to someone in the philippines who where the average salary is maybe uh, i don't know what it is but it's probably somewhere around maybe three hundred dollars a month or less even and uh oh so, yeah so so yeah so, so paying them something like that it's not a, a bad thing and and i mean people over there too um, I know from what I've heard, they take a lot of pride in working for someone from Canada or the U.S. and things like that, right? So it's uh, it's a really something good for them and you. I think it's a, a great uh, thing that people can utilize. For sure. Yeah, I mean, this guy lives in Manila, and he used to be working in the corporate world. And um, he loves doing the, the virtual assistant stuff because he gets to work from home. He's kind of creates his own hours for some of the work he does. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I guess he, he said he makes more money than, than if he was full-time working somewhere locally. So, you know, that's the kind of world we live in now. I don't think it's exploitation. It's just utilizing the, the tools that you have at your disposal. And the way I look at it for my business is if I'm doing something in my real estate business, which is uh, taking me a lot of time, <clears throat> And or I don't even particularly enjoy it. I always question all these tasks now. I say, could I give that to to my assistant? 
could I ask, could I give that to somebody else to do? Um, and I think that's another way that people can grow is essentially by looking at, look at your list of tasks you have to do, make a list. And I do this periodically. I'll make two lists. One list I'll write down the things that give the most value to my business, you know, financially or monetarily, what's the most valuable things that I do. And then I'll have my second list, which is what are the things I enjoy doing most and all the way through to the things I enjoy doing the least at the bottom. And then, then I can basically look at those two lists and say, which of the money, money making things and the things that I enjoy match up. So then those are the things that should be doing most of, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that are at the bottom, which is, you know, posting ads on websites or texting back and forth with students all day. It, it doesn't in that moment make me a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It's kind of frustrating waiting for people to respond. Um, that's a perfect example of something I've handed off. Uh, it's not immediate. I, you know, I trained my guy up. I gave him script. I've given him canned responses. So it's all very professional, but yeah, you can, and yeah, as you said, Sandy, whether you're in real estate or whatever your business is, if you're if you're if you're an entrepreneur, for sure you can you can get use out of somebody like that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great idea. Um, have you ever had a student rental horror story or or anything like that? I know you mentioned the cat. Uh, issue anything other anything else that's popped up that's been kind of crazy a little kitten that's not quite the horror story that we're looking for but yeah maybe something (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe something that went a little bit worse than that yeah i mean i uh i always think like the the myths and realities of student rentals are often worse in people's minds than they are practically um you know, a damaged, a hole in, a punched fist in the wall or somebody kicking a door is, is what, what you may see from time to time. I have quite a good story, which is, uh, I, at one of my properties, I have a house and I have a detached, um, garage, which goes with it. And, um, in the detached garage, I was storing a kitchen, which I'd removed from another house. I had a brand new kitchen, the countertops, all this stuff. And, uh, I went and then, my father-in-law was uh, renovating his basement. So I said, don't buy a kitchen. I got a kitchen. It's brand new. I took it out of a house and uh, it's ready to go. Let's go and pick it up. So we got in my car and with the trailer on the back and drove over there. And I went to uh, unlock the, the garage door and the, the door was open. Like somebody had picked the lock or forced to open or whatever. It was open. And I walked in and to my horror, the, uh, the kitchen was kind of all over the place. And there was, uh, I then kind of was, was, was big parts of it missing. Like the whole countertop was missing. I walked out into the backyard and I saw the countertop out of the corner of my eye. And one of the students had obviously pulled their blind down inside the house. So instead of going and buying a new blind or replacing it or telling me, they decided to take the countertop from the garage and lean it against the window from the outside, thus creating some shade from the sunlight. Um, so that, that had obviously been in the rain, so it was warped and fallen apart, so that was useless. Um, I guess you're a student, you only one blanket, so you can't, uh, you can't be hanging your other one yeah. or your blanket from the inside. I don't know. Yeah, it would, it would be a way, be a waste. And then, and then I found, and then I found the, the drawers that go in the kitchen set and I went, one of them was missing, so I went into the house and said to the kids, where's the, there's a drawer missing, I need this for my set. And 
the one student with a cat said, oh, you might want to come with me. I've I got it downstairs and he'd been using it as a cat litter tray. Um, yeah. And then the rest of the furniture in the garage have been turned into like a massive beer pong table with just empty cups and stuff like that out there. So, you know, I, maybe in hindsight, I should have been more explicit that they weren't to touch the kitchen in the garage or, or break into the garage to start messing around with it. But that, that's probably about the worst uh, touch wood that I've, that I've had to date. The, the, I have, uh, I've been aware of things that have gone on. Um, one, a neighbor's house, a few doors down in one location. Um, they did have a big party. They had a lot of people in their house and, uh, somebody had picked up some, some buckets of paint, which were in one of the cupboards and, uh, managed to jimmy the lids off his paint and just thrown it at the wall. Oh, lovely. Like full gallon, full gallon cans of paint, just throwing them at the wall. Uh, so and all over the wood floors and that kind of stuff the worst one that i've uh, had is i showed up at a place and um and the neighbor came out and said that you should have seen the party here last night the the cops were everywhere they had them lined they had the kids lined up at the front of the house at the back of the house and one of them threw a beer bottle through my uh bathroom window and broke it (laughs) so yeah that was that was a fun one there luckily um yeah that that uh that tenant agreed to pay you know for the for the window and everything <laughs> so i guess that yeah. you know it could have been a lot worse there too yeah yeah i mean so it's, 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 it's mitigate mitigating risk i guess and you can do that by getting the parents to countersign the lease you have to have the right type of insurance and then you uh, make sure that you uh Make sure you pick out good good kids to live in your houses. So was this the same dreaded cat that was is that how you found out about same. this little kitten? Yeah, was the same dreaded cat. Yeah. yeah, okay. Good perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um so do you yeah. have a is there a quote or a piece of info or advice in in business even it's always stuck with you and uh, how has it helped you? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. I I worked with a guy when I was in London in my early years in sales. I worked with a guy who was just a big thinker. Um, And he went, he's a very successful um, technology entrepreneur and has sold a couple of companies and and made, you know, fortunes. But he he just said that he finds generally people think small. And one example of this one day, we were walking down the road in central London in England to go grab some lunch. And he just stopped and kind of looked at the buildings around him and, and said to me, he's like, who's to say that you couldn't own all the buildings on this street in 10 years time. Um, and I kind of said, well, I, I suppose I could, I suppose that could happen. It's not impossible. Right. Um, and so that I always kind of take that, um, interaction and it's not really a quote or a piece of advice, but just at the time I had a feeling, which was you, you can, you can really do something if you, if you put your mind to it and you really want to achieve it. Um, the other part of the best piece of advice is that, uh, I think it's important to do something, even if you do the wrong, wrong thing, it's better than doing nothing. 
and this applies to buying real estate um, in a big way because a lot of people sit on the sidelines and don't do anything. And, and I've bought places and made mistakes, but those mistakes have provided me with an education, even when they haven't always provided me with money. Right. Um, I, the, I always go back to the, the, uh, the Warren Buffett quote, which says the best time to buy real estate was 30 years ago. The next best time is now. Um, because it's ju it's just one of those things where it takes a long time to get rich buying and looking after real estate. So you kind of need to get on with it now and you need to take action. And uh, sometimes the action might be wrong, but if you learn from that and continue to move forward, then you're going to be successful. See, I mean, as far as investments go, you can say it takes a long time to get rich with real estate. And I know, and, and everyone thinks that way. But I mean, what other what other type of investing will get you rich in the same amount of time? I don't think there's any. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, ten or fifteen years is not really is not really the same as investing in a mutual fund and hoping to God you got enough money in there when it's time to retire or to uh, you know to get you through the rest of your days. Mm -hmm. so, I always I really like it that. Um, your quote came from a real per your advice, I guess, came from a real person. And we get we're getting a lot of that. And I, I like those kind of um I like those kind of things. Yeah, think big. Think big, why not? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna think anyway. Yeah, I mean, he, well uh, exactly. I mean his his IT company went on to end up being acquired for seven hundred million dollars and uh it started as just his thing, right? So he was thinking big all the time, and uh, you know, I think you gotta keep keep pushing yourself and not not sell really. And uh, yeah. you can get places, but for most people that I come across, most of the time it's accountability and taking action. Um, a lot of people are, are afraid of what happens if interest rates go up, or what happens if I can't rent the house out, or what happens if somebody breaks a window, or you know, there's a lot of potential pitfalls, but those of us that are lovers of real estate, we, we, we like the, we like the physical asset as opposed to let's go and buy a load of Apple stock and hopefully they invent the next iPhone, right? Uh, way less in our control than, than something we can get involved with. So. Yep, exactly. Um, so kind of segueing into your we mentioned your that you offer some training and stuff and and you know first of all this whole podcast episode here has been awesome you've got a ton of great value here a lot of great advice um and actually just reminds me of a quote where i forget who said it or i'm sure a lot of people have said it but you know the worst advice or the most expensive advice you could ever get is is bad advice and i know you've got a lot of good advice here in this show um, and if someone wanted to get more advice from you, tell them a little bit about your training course. Uh, it's called the Personalized Student Rental Investing Plan. And uh, it's all about helping stu uh, people get involved in student rentals. How tell us a bit uh, about how that works. Yeah, so I get to work with people in a couple of ways. One of them is the, the, uh, the personalized plan. And essentially the personalized plan was put together because I kept – having people come to me and say, I want to ask you a few questions about this. I want to ask you a few questions about that. And then I answer them for them. And then they come back and say, Oh yeah, one more thing. And 
So again, back to the accountability thing, if, if people are just getting periodic answers to questions, they're probably never going to be satisfied and um, never going to get all the help they need. So when I put this plan together, I kind of put it together as a, it's a five session thing. So it's five one hour phone calls and it allows us to walk through the process of working on um, from the, the first piece being the city profile. So which city do you, do you live close to that you want to invest in? Because although, you know, the, uh, the university in Halifax might be, have great fundamentals, it's nowhere near where you live. So what, what, university or college you want to invest near to um then at a more micro level which neighborhood around that facility do you like um and really just look at that whole um the city the area the, the houses and everything and, and just figure out what's going to work for them then the, the next session we go into team building so who's your realtor who's your property manager who's your lawyer who's your accountant um who's your contractor who's your coach all that kind of stuff to make sure that you've got the best team around you. Cause those people will steer you in the right direction. They'll stop you from making the wrong mistakes. They'll, they'll, they'll start a contractor whose experience with students would stop you from, you know, putting carpet everywhere instead of putting uh, vinyl or laminate flooring in, you know, like they're just going to help you out. And then property selection. So then we would look at what type of house, bungalow, detached, semi townhouse, condo, like some of those just aren't relevant to students and, and they shouldn't be in there. Um, but if we're looking at houses to buy, we can then look at what's the layout, what's the configuration. Like I almost have this thing now, as soon as I walk into a house, I just start, right, two bedrooms there, two over there, hmm. basement's unfinished. We can put two bedrooms in a bathroom there, maybe a small kitchen. Like you just start piecing this stuff together. And mm-hmm. That experience helps people massively when they're, when they're not sure where to put things. Um, and then, then we get into attracting students. So how do we market to students? What do the millennial generation want? What are they interested in? How, should, how can you speak their language? How can you communicate with them? Um, what are the cycles in terms of when do they start looking for housing for the upcoming year? Um, and all sorts of things about attracting them. And then the last one is for people who either don't have the money or want to get more money. It's really funding the deal. So, I give people a plan so that they can start speaking to people about what they do and start getting people to step forward who are interested in, in investing in, in their business. So it could be, um, you know, they're talking to people at work about it or they're introducing it to a conversation at their son's hockey game. And all of a sudden, as you start owning your value, people will step forward and say, can you tell me a bit more about that? I'm kind of interested in real estate, but I don't know anything about it. How does that work? So I use a, a model that's worked very well for me in terms of uh, getting to know JVs and then getting involved in the process. So that that is the the, the personalized plan. Um, I do have people who come to me and say that plan's great, but I just want to um, cover these things in the in the allotted time slots, which is fine as well. Um, and then I am doing a couple of new things at the moment. So I'm actually just finishing um, the the launch page for an online series I'm doing for student rentals. So it'll be countrywide. And essentially 
there'll be a seven week course where we're going to go through a lot of the things I've talked about tonight in a lot more detail. So, um, all of these things in the, in the personalized plan and obviously a lot more detail. We're going to have Q and A sessions and live sessions and they get unlimited email access to me and all that kind of stuff. So I've got that seven week course, which is starting on June 3rd. Um, I'm going to be announcing that this is the first time I talked about it. So, you guys got the scoop, but uh, I'm going to be announcing that in the next couple of days. Um, so, yeah, that's really what I'm up to at the moment. And everything I, I'm doing will be kind of updated on my website, which is studentrentalinvesting.com. Uh, so you can go there and see the blog posts that I write, um, the, the courses I've got going on. Um, I've just recently been asked to write a blog post um, on a monthly basis for Canadian real estate wealth magazine. So I'm going to be putting some stuff in there for them as well. So yeah, I think there's, there'll be a, a good amount of content for people who, who want to get involved. Awesome. Well, that's great. Congratulations on that. Sounds yeah. like a good gig there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're crushing it. Totally. And like I said, the, the most expensive advice you can ever get in life is bad advice so you've got a lot of awesome advice and uh, definitely we want to encourage people to check check out studentrentalinvesting.com or .ca sorry .com right .com yeah .com. okay and yeah definitely check we're going global out. yeah perfect and and do, do you have a do you have a link for for that uh the new uh promotion you're running or is that not set up yet yeah, the URL that the uh, the the online course is going to be at is studentrentalcashflow.com. Studentrentalcashflow.com. So uh, that's going to be where people can find out about the seven-week online course and uh, get information as to what's going to be involved and what we're talking about and sign up for it there. Cool. And uh, so... That's awesome. That's that sounds like really exciting stuff. Is there another place people can contact you? I know you're on pretty active on Twitter and uh, Facebook and whatnot. Can you uh, give us uh, or give some people uh, a way to connect with you there? Yeah, my my Twitter handle is Real Estate Wins, um, which is W I N S on the end. Real Estate Wins, mm-hmm. um, and then I've got a, f- a Facebook page, which is facebookcom investing. Um, yeah, so any of those methods and links to those things are on my website as well. So for sure, if you, uh, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to hear from new people. And if they have like a one-off question, then I'm, I'm usually good to answer that. If they want to get into a lot of stuff, then I would direct them to, to, uh, one of the things that I got going on so I can, I can give you some good advice. And as, uh, as Sandy pointed out, um, you know, I think it's, I think getting good advice early on is, uh, you know, for all the coaching and help that I've paid for, it's been, it's been worth every penny. I've, I've been lucky that I've been steered to, to good people, um, for sure. But, uh, if you can find somebody good and knowledgeable on the, on the niche you want to focus on, it's just, it's just going to save you a lot of time. Perfect. You know what? We really appreciate you coming on the show again tonight, and um, we'd love to have you back maybe after your uh, launch goes off and come back and talk about that. And uh, thanks again. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is awesome, Tim. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it, and I um, and I look forward to seeing when this is out there. Okay, Great. we'll let you know about that. Have a good night.
You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Thanks. Through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. And here with me. Oh boy.